All right. If you have not found it already, let's go to that um, favorite devotional book of yours in the Bible, the book of Habakkuk. Uh, that minor prophet in the Old Testament. And if you don't know where it is, look in your index. Uh, it'll give you the page number. Or you can go to the book of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament, turn left, and you will eventually run across it. So um, at the very beginning of the year of 2019, I made a statement, and the statement was simply this. The most important voice that you can listen to this year is the voice of your Heavenly Father. And we talked about why that is important and the value behind hearing God's voice. And so we've spent a lot of time talking about how God speaks and how he has equipped you to listen and the various ways, and we'll touch on that again, the various ways that, that God has designed you to listen. And uh, so now we're just trying to bring this down into a very applicable point. Because one of the ways in which God speaks is through painful events in our lives. But it's not the way that we want him to speak, right? We want God to deliver us from pain, protect us from pain, uh, by all means, keep painful things away from us, but yet oftentimes it is during those painful events that one or two things happen with people. Either they draw closer to the Lord or they will back away. And they're desperate to hear from God, and, and sometimes there is a time lapse between whatever it is that occurred in your life and when God finally begins to speak. And that's Kind of the scenario of where Habakkuk finds himself as a prophet of God. And you'll recall, and I think this is on the top of your outline, the driving question that, God, that Habakkuk had for God is, God, why is it that you just don't seem to be very fair at times in life? Why is it you don't seem to be fair? Because here's the faith law. What Habakkuk was seeing going on around him with his physical eyes did not line up with what he believed about God, and it led to a crisis of belief. And so Habakkuk, in chapter 1, begins firing questions at God, and, and basically, God, uh, you know, where are you in the midst of this? And why don't you care? And don't you see what's going on? And if you have the power to overcome this, then why is that not happening? And so for Habakkuk, who was a prophet of God in the Old Testament, during the time in which the nation of Israel had split into two nations, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. The northern ten tribes of Israel had been carried off into captivity by the Assyrians to be seen no more. And Judah thought they were safe because they had the temple of God. And so, therefore, their hearts just continued to drift away from God. And they began worshiping other gods and establishing idols. And prophets were sent by God, who are spokespeople for God, sent by God to warn them, if you don't turn your heart back to me, then I'm going to have to discipline you. Not to pay you back, but to draw you back to myself. And so, it fell on deaf ears. And now Habakkuk sees that there is a nation that has risen up known as the Babylonians, and they were a very um, vicious nation. They were very ruthless, and they were warmongers, and, and they, they loved torturing. And so he sees all these injustices going on, not just in the nations around him, but within his own nation. 
And he says, Lord, aren't you going to do anything about this? I mean, innocent people are suffering here, and innocent people are being drugged off the court, and all kinds of things are being leveraged against them because of the rich and the wealthy. They're greasing the palms of the judges, and and if you care, why are you not doing anything about it? And God's answer to him in verse 5 was, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days. Amazed? Okay, God, how are you going to amaze me? (laughs) And then God says, I'm going to raise up a nation, the Babylonians, who are far more ruthless and impetuous than you are, and I'm going to use them to carry you off into captivity. Wow. And so for Habakkuk, his faith began to unravel. God, why would you do this? Why would you allow that to happen? Now, let's put it in our scenarios. Oftentimes in life, we're going along well in life, and all of a sudden, a very painful incident happens a loss of a job, the death of a child. There are any number of things that can happen that send us into a very deep, dark valley. And it is there that our faith in God can be strengthened or it can become unraveled. And you know as well as I do that when we are suffering painful things, um, rather than waiting upon the Lord, you know, we want something instantaneous. And, and it really find, we find it helpful in waiting if we can complain about it while we're waiting, right? Am I alone in that? You know, something happens to you, you have a setback financially, and, and rather than waiting on the Lord, we just want to kind of fuss about it and, and, and complain about it to our family and friends and even to God himself. We say the same things that Habakkuk did. Uh, uh, God, uh, God, God, you're not answering my prayers, That's code for you haven't solved the problem, you haven't taken away the pain, you you haven't changed the circumstances, God. God, do you you see what's going on in my life? Remember? See? And then if nothing happens, then we complain even further. We say, now God, my counsel is going unheeded. Code for, Lord, I've got this master plan all laid out how you can make this better and just like use this and leverage this for my benefit and for your glory. God, I think you'd be impressed if you looked at my plan, Lord, and implemented it. And then when that doesn't happen, we, we just go deeper, and uh, we, we're still waiting. And God, my circumstances, have you seen my circumstances lately? They're becoming increasingly unbearable. The weight is, is like just more than I can handle. And we hear little cliches. People say all the time, well, you know, the Lord will never give you more than you can bear. That is not in the Bible. Amen. God will give you more than you can bear. The only time God promises not to give you more than you can bear is with regards to temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. But God who is faithful will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with a temptation, we'll provide a way of escape. And so then as the weight is bearing down on us, now our faith begins to unravel and we get confused, we get depressed, we get discouraged. And like Habakkuk, he's almost like he's taking God to court and he's saying, listen, your honor, your honor, I object to what's happening to me. I object. Have you ever wanted to do that with God? I, I have. Like, I just wanted to stand up and say, Lord, I, I object. Just like act like a lawyer. But I'm a Christian, and Christian can't be a lawyer, so we. I'll just, all right, don't write me notes. I am just kidding. Okay, I have relatives who are lawyers. 
It just ranks up there with owning a cat. That's all I can say. It was like... <laughs> now, Habakkuk, remember what his name means? His name means to embrace and to wrestle. And so Habakkuk finds him in this situation. His faith is stammering. It's coming unraveled. And he's wrestling with God. He's wrestling. And time is moving on. And he doesn't hear any answers He's not seeing any change in his circumstances. He's not feeling any relief in his spirit. And so as we come to the end of this book next week, he is going to embrace the Lord. And the Lord is, is going to do some just this amazing things in his life as a result of it. You see, in these deep, dark valleys of pain, if you will embrace the Lord even when you don't understand... Even with when everything you see around you and you are experiencing does not match up with what you believe about God, and you have hit your crisis of belief, if you will do three things that we'll talk about next week out of chapter three, God will see you through that valley, and he, he will forge within you. Here, here are a couple of things that God's always seeking to do within us. Uh, and, you know, you can flesh this out in many different ways. There are two objectives that God has for your life as you're journeying through these valleys. Number one is to craft your character. God is very interested in our character. What I mean by character is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ and God wants to develop the character of Christ in us so that we begin living the life of Christ. So if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and goodness, and you know, all those self-control, all of those things, it, it, that is where God often begins to forge. For example, if God wants to create the fruit of love, Guess what he does? He normally will put you in a situation that is exact the opposite of love, right? Anybody can love who, those who love them, but what about those who don't love you? What about those who don't even like you? Did everybody like Jesus? No. Did everybody love Jesus? Absolutely not. In fact, the very people he thought loved him are the very ones who cried out, crucify him. We want Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. And so, Crafting your character means loving a, a rejecting spouse, maybe, or a prodigal child, or a critical and pushing friend. God wants to develop that fruit, or the radiating joy, even when the doctor says you have cancer. Remember, joy isn't feeling happy about a situation. Joy is that underlying belief that God has everything in control, that nothing is outside the realm of his reach. And that this has entered into my life, it is not beyond God, God's ability to heal, or it is not beyond God's ability, if he doesn't heal, to bring me the grace that I need in order to sustain me through that period of my life. Knowing peace in the midst of financial catastrophe, exhibiting patience in a very trying circumstance at work or when you're raising kids. I thought I'd at least get an amen on that one, right? You know, it's like, man. Or being kind to a needy neighbor when they would, you just rather would not. Or releasing goodness of God's nature when somebody's screaming at you for being good or faithfully following your call to serve. See, there's, there are all kinds of things. And the second thing that God is doing is that he is forging your faith. Remember, your relationship with your heavenly father is a faith walk. God is constantly seeking 
to broaden, to deepen your faith and your trust in him. And we all start out like in baby steps, right? So, and, and so God didn't, he you know, helps us take a few steps and we fall down. It's like a toddler. We take a few steps and we fall down and we may even back up a couple steps and we take a few more steps. And so I've given you an example of Abraham on your outline. And uh, so for example, Abraham, the test of a major change. Faith will follow God's leading without knowing where. God calls Abraham out of Ur of Chaldea, a, a foreign pagan culture, and says, I want you to follow me. And Abraham says, I'll do that. Where are we going? And God says, you don't need to know. I'll let you know when we get there. But he, he took that baby step. He took those steps of faith. And then there was the faith of the test of delayed promises. Because you're going to have all these same tests, okay? A delayed promise, which means you'll wait for God's promise without knowing when. God promised Abraham that he was going to have a son. And that through his son, that he would raise up a nation through whom the Messiah, Jesus, would come. And so he gets the, the promise, 25 years passes, and ain't no son. And Abraham and Sarah are not getting any younger. And nothing's happening. And so his faith begins to waver a little bit. And he questions God about that. And God says, hey, come outside with me. Now look at the stars of the sky. So will the, the numerous descendants will you have as, as the stars in the sky. Now trust me, I will fulfill the promise and then there's the test of an impossible problem. So now Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90, still no son. God shows up and says, you're going to have a baby. Sarah does what? She laughs. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> not in this womb, you're not. And so, but, but they trust and without knowing how. And so God brings about that miracle child. And then the ultimate test of his faith when uh, Isaac is around 12, 13 years old, he, he's told to take him on Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice to God, which the pagan nations around them, that was a normal thing for them, to offer up their children as sacrifices to the gods. And so Abraham, it says, he, he obeys. He takes him and he lays him out on the altar. And it wasn't until he's about to plunge the knife into his son that all of a sudden God says, stop, and he has, an, he has the sacrifice waiting for him. That would be the sacrifice that would come. And then God says, now I know. Now you know. I know your heart. I know your faith. And God credited to him as righteousness. See, these are the same things that you're going to go through. And so here's what Habakkuk says in verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, see, he is puffed up. He desires what's not right, what is not upright. Speaking of the Babylonians, watch this. But the righteous, us, followers of Jesus, the righteous will live by what? Help me. Faith. It is a faith walk. God is trying to deepen our faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. You see, this is, this is what happens in our lives is that we think, we think that the best thing that we could ever have in life is Jesus plus something else. When the Bible teaches that Jesus is enough, but do you believe that? When you're in the midst of a painful trial, when you're in a deep, dark valley, is Jesus enough? Or do you have to have Jesus and somebody else? I'm not saying it's not nice to have Jesus and somebody else coming and bearing under the load with you, but what if it's just you and Jesus? Is he enough? 
Because that's the relationship you're going to have to lean into. That's the relationship you're going to have to rely upon. That's the voice that you want to hear because that's the voice that's going to bring down from heaven the promises of God as it pertains to your particular situation at that moment in your life. And some of you here today, you have been through some very, very painful events. But the problem is you're still chained to the past. And as long as you remain emotionally chained in your pain, you can never move forward into your future. And God wants to cut the chain. He wants you to be free from that which happened in the past so that you can embrace him and that he can utilize and leverage it in forming your character and fashioning your character, and also deepening your faith walk with him. That makes sense? So Romans 8, 28 says, and 29, that no matter what happens to us, to those who love God and are called according to his purposes, God leverages everything in life. Jesus says it rains on the just and the unjust, that painful things happen to all of us. This is not a question of whether or not God loves you or God accepts you or or God cares about you. Of course he loves you. Of course he cares about you. He, He loves you more than you could ever possibly understand. But it's a faith walk. And that faith walk, if we're not careful, here's what happens. It's that spiritually forming Christians neither use other people and make them feel better or, nor isolate themselves from people who might hurt them, but instead they will move forward in another person's life regardless. That's called faith. And the reason we do that is because of love. And so Paul says in Colossians 1 that faith and love is rooted in hope. You see, the reason Jesus himself, God himself, walked through that valley of the shadow of death while he sweat bloods of drops of blood and Gethsemane, wanting to back out of this painful event that was in front of him called the cross, he, the Bible says he went through that, he endured that because he knew on the other side he was providing salvation for humanity. And there is power in the gospel. There is the power of God to save you, to forgive you of all your sins. And there is the power of the gospel to heal you, body, soul, and spirit. And there's the power of the gospel to deliver you from the strongholds that Satan has very craftily and carefully erected in your mind. And it's the thought processes that keep you chained to your past. And God wants to obliterate those so that now you are walking in the freedom of Christ because Jesus descended into hell and where he gathered every key of the kingdom and came back and gave them to the church. And he says, now, these keys, plural, because there is a key for every hellish gate that can be unlocked to set the prisoners free. And that's what God wants to do for you. And he can do it if you will wrestle with him. But in the end, you've got to embrace him. And never let go. And so how do we do that? Well, I think that Habakkuk gives us, um, he gives us the answers. Because for some people, they just, they live in denial of what's happening or they just, they just back away from the Lord. And it's like, God, I, I had this expectation. You're not living up to it. 
And one of the problems is, is that sometimes it's the way the gospel was presented to them. The gospel was presented as, hey, accept Jesus in your life, and God's going to make everything good and everything perfect and everything lovely, and you're never going to have another problem in life. That's a lie of the enemy. That is never what God promised. This world is hard, and it is harsh, because we live in a fallen world among fallen people. And as I've told you many times, most of the pain that you're going to experience in your lifetime will come at the hands of other people. And so God wants to, to, to release us from that. So what do you do when you're in your crisis? Well, here's what Habakkuk did. Number one is to listen. You want to listen. This is where all these series have, has led up to. This moment in time is we are going to listen Notice what he says in chapter 2 and verse 1. I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm going to give to this complaint. Listen. Stop and listen. Listen, God's ideas are only revealed, his mind and his heart, in his presence. But as we've talked about before, sometimes we are so busy, we're so on the run, we're so on the move that we never take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen. If he's enough, if he's the most important relationship you have in life, which the Bible says he is the best, that everything else is subservient to that relationship, everything flows out of that relationship then why would we not take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen, hit your knees, trust God, and open up your ears? And that's what Habakkuk is doing. God, I, I don't like this. I'm wrestling with this. You've heard my complaining. I'm really struggling in my heart with this, Lord. I know you have the power to stop all this. I know you have the power and the ability to change all this with a, just a, a speaking of a word, but you're not doing it. And I'm, I'm really wrestling here. And when we're in painful valleys, <laughs> do we not want a rescuer? Sure we do. We all do. And we want rescued as quickly as we possibly can. And so Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand at my watch station, the ramparts. In other words, I'm going to climb up on the wall and I'm going to see what God's doing. And I'm going to listen to the Lord. And this is where, you know, we often, we, rather than listening, we just want to whine and we want to complain. And, and, and that's fine. Get it out. All right? But that's not where you're going to hear the voice. You're not going to hear God speak in the midst of your whining and complaining. Now, here's, here's the big issue, too, is that we're always asking the question, why? Why, God? Why this? Why now? Why this? If you look at the Scripture, God rarely ever answers the question why. You need to change the question. The question isn't why. The question is, Lord, what is it that you're trying to do within me? What are you trying to communicate to me? What are you showing me? How am I to respond in response to what it is that you're doing in my life? Those are the things that God answers. And he will speak. And there are all kinds of ways that he speaks. And we've talked about Ten different ways, and there, there are more than that. We spent entire messages on that. You can go back to the website and re-listen to those. 
But, but let's let me mention four things just to kind of a review is that just as you have a dominant personality type, you also have a dominant listening device within you that God gave you. Some of you, remember, you're knowers. Knowers just know. They just know when God's spoken to them. It's not like they say, well, I heard God speak, or I, I felt this impression, or, or you know, I, I, I had this picture in front of me, you know, I just had this vision. Uh, no, you just know. And you don't seem as spiritual as others because it's, like, it's not like you go, well, you know, God just really downloaded this impression in me. No, it's just, I, I know. This is what God's saying. For some of you, um, you are hearers, and hearers are those who receive divine impressions by the Holy Spirit. And it's just kind of like a heavenly download, and you'll find this all throughout the Scripture where, where Jesus, uh, where the Holy Spirit just uh, gives impressions upon people and speaking to them. And we talked about how you discern the voice of God from, from other voices, and some of you are, are hearers, and some of you are feelers. Feelers, you just kind of feel God's emotion, you know? you know, constantly the word compassion is used of Jesus. His compassion always drove him into action, right? And so you just feel, you just sense God's emotions. You just sense something deep within the core of your being. And for some of you, you're seers, all right? So obviously Habakkuk is a seer. Notice what he says, I will wait and I will see what he says to me. You seers, you see in pictures, you see in visions, you sometimes see in dreams. And, and so God just gives you this picture. You may not understand what it means at the time, but, you know, and I, I shared with you my experiences. I'm, I'm a seer, very much a seer, and God gives me pictures, and I can say to somebody, here's what God has shown me. Uh, does this make sense to you? And boom, it's just like, yes, that makes total sense to me. And so I don't know how God's going to speak to you, but here's what I do know is that God will speak, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he delays what he's going to say, but if you stay long enough, God's going to speak. God's, God wants you to hear from him. It is the most important voice you can listen to because God's going to give you, he's going to, he's going to unveil for you what it is he's doing, what it is he's accomplishing in your life. And so that is what gives me hope. That is what keeps me focused on faith and love, driven by hope, because I know that God will ultimately accomplish what it is he wants to accomplish. Now, here's where we get into trouble. When Jesus came the first time to be Messiah, all right, he came to defeat his enemies, Satan and sin, and, uh, you know, the world's philosophy that, that was driven by the evil one, those kinds of things. When Jesus comes the second time, he's not going to come to defeat his enemies. He's going to come to destroy his enemies. Because the Bible says that Jesus will take, like, Satan and sin and all these, you know, fallenness of humanity and, and all the hurt and the pain and no more death and sorrow, all those things, and he's going to cast it into the lake of fire. Please understand that you are not in heaven yet, so stop trying to make the earth your heaven. It's never going to be that way. All right, so if you're expecting God to give you heaven on earth, you, you get a taste of heaven. God can download things from heaven into your life. He wants you to experience a taste of heaven, but this world will never be heaven until Jesus comes back and he recreates and redistributes 
all that he is, is coming to do. So uh, just don't make that mistake. It was the Apostle Paul, you'll recall, that prayed three times for God to remove a thorn in his flesh. Whatever that thorn was, we don't know. A lot of speculation. But all Paul knew is, God, I want you to get rid of this. I know you have the capability to get rid of this. I don't feel like I need this. I don't see any benefit in this. I don't understand what you're doing through this. So please, Lord, get rid of it. And God answered, ain't happening. And so Paul was persistent, right? He asked a second time. Then he asked a third time. And God says, no, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. And so whatever it was, for whatever reason, God chose to leave this thorn in his flesh. He decided not to take it away because it would be to Paul's advantage to have it than to not have it. Listen, if there's something in your life that God sees that would be to your disadvantage to have, he'll remove it. But he see, if he sees, and remember, we don't see like he sees and we don't think like he thinks. If he sees that it is beneficial to us, he'll let it remain until it's no longer beneficial and then he'll remove it. And so, take it away, Lord. Sometimes you're asking God to take away the very thing that he's using to develop your character and to deepen your faith. And he's going to say no. When it has accomplished what I set out to accomplish, then I'll remove it. But until then, it needs to remain. Here's the second thing you do. You listen, and then you write. You write. I'm not saying you have to be a journaler. Some of you love to journal. Some of you hate to journal. But then he says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. In other words, make it permanent so that a herald may run with it for the revelation awaits on an appointed time. It speaks to the, of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So you write. You, what do you write? You write what God's showing you. You write what God's laying on your heart. You, you, while you're going through this valley, rather than complaining about it, how about we stop, we just embrace the Lord, we begin worshiping the Lord that drops the chains of the power of the evil one over us, and we say, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't really know why this is happening. Or, or maybe you've already gone through the event and say, God, uh, how, am I, uh, how are you going to use this and what... Lord, this is going to forever change my life or whatever it is. And But you just start writing what God is impressing upon you. And so it may not be that God gives you something every day, but it might be that he gives you things. And so as you go through life and you hit those major valleys in your life, you're going to notice that God begins to establish a pattern in your life. Because everything that he is preparing for you tomorrow, he's been preparing you all your life. Now to give you an example... Uh, I have a sheet here, and this is just a part of my life, but, um, and so it, it's a pad, and it has different colored post-its on it. And so these different colored post-its are um, basically, there are various times in my life, and so the different colored posters, the, the pink are very painful events in my life, and uh, the yellow represents different individuals who God used to intersect in my life during those painful events, and the green is what God showed me, what God taught me 
through that valley in my life. And you can see here, I've got several years of my life mapped out on this, and I've got another one that, that's you know, up to almost current, not quite. But what, what, why did I do this? I was writing. I'm simply putting on, no, I'm not a journaler, okay? My wife's the journaler. I'm not a journaler. God bless journalers. But, um, so, but I can pick this up, and I can be, just look back over my life at all of the very painful moments in my life and the things that happen, but ultimately I can also see what God, how God strategically used those moments to develop my character, to deepen my faith, how he brought certain people around me during those times I was forging that valley, and ultimately as I came up out of the other side, what it is that God taught me about myself, about him, about the situation, and not that he was answering why questions, because I had learned a long time ago to stop asking why. I wanted to know what, God, what it is that you want me to do as a result of traveling through this painful event in my life. What do you want me to do as a result of that? And what I, God was asking me to do as a result of it came out of what it was God was developing in me. Does that make sense to you? And so when, you, when you, at first, this, this, is a, this was like fuzzy to me. It's like, ah, oh, you know, I don't understand, and I, I'm not connecting two and two, and, uh, and, but when I wrote it down and I, and this became my spiritual anchor, all of a sudden as I look back and reflect back, I'm like, ah, now I see. You know, now I see why God, I, I went through this, and I went through this, and then all of a sudden, God prepared me for this, and I went through this and this, and God was preparing me for this, and I went through this, and, th and God was preparing me for this. And it is amazing that every one of these painful events in my life, and, and there, there are a whole lot more than every painful event, at the end of this, if you surrender it to the Lord, he uses it as a launch pad to a ministry. For example, one of my first ones right out of the gate, and we're going to talk about this in Shattered Dreams, how you end up in the pit like Joseph did back in the Old Testament, is sometimes it's childhood traumas, but, but sometimes, you know, one of my childhood traumas was what? My father abandoned his family when I was young, and my mother raised us. I, I was in a single-parent home. It was a painful event and time in my life when I felt rejected by my own father but God uses that as a platform for ministry, especially in a society where we have 60% of kids who are in our public schools come from a divorced home, and many of them in a single-parent home. Now, as I reflect back, it was painful. It was my, my thorn in the flesh. But now I can thank God for it because it has opened up so many doors of opportunity to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing, is you wait. You wait. Notice what he says, verse 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false, though it linger. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Though it linger, I don't want to wait for it. I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. Do you know all throughout Scripture how many people waited on God? When God said to Moses, man, I'm going to deliver 
use you to deliver God's people and rebuild the nation? How long did he wait? 40 years in the backside of a desert, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. 40 years. How many of you could wait 40 years? We can't even wait 40 minutes, right? We don't like to wait. Or Joseph, you're going to, Joseph, I'm raising you up. You're going to be a great leader. Man, your brothers, they're all going to come and bow before you one day. And then Joseph goes off into a waiting period, spent 13 years of that waiting period in prison. The apostle Paul, he received a vision from Christ. I mean, Jesus on the road to Damascus flattens him out. He's blind. And and then he has a sight back and he says, man, God has called me. I know God has called me to be uh, the ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And then he went out and he waited. It was 13 years before he preached his first sermon. Here's the the key here. If you will position yourself, if you will position yourself when the time is right, God will speak. And when he speaks, you need to be ready to obey and follow through. And we talked about this. If, if If you just want to throw God's word into a basket of options and choose which one you think's best, you know, yours or God's or your friend's, no, that's not going to work. God doesn't speak to be debated. He speaks looking for hearts that are surrendered to him in obedience. God will speak. God will heal. God will mend. God will craft. He will forge. There is a direct correlation between our level of anticipation to hear from God and our willingness to wait. And as I wait, faith grows and intimacy grows and security grows. Everything grows and deepens in that relationship because, man, when you are in a valley, <laughs> there's not much elsewhere to go, right? It's like you're down in the valley, and it's like, Lord, I, I, I'm looking at that mountain. I can't scale that mountain on my own. God, I need your help. I need your power. I need your ability. I need you to help me. But it's not like Star Wars, you know? You just don't get zapped out of there and, and you know... It doesn't happen that way. But if you will wait, he says, I, I certainly, I will come and I will not delay. I find that interesting. He doesn't consider waiting a delay, but we do. And then God went on in this chapter to say to Habakkuk, I understand your concern. You think because these people who are more evil than you, that I'm using you to discipline a lesser evil people, that it's unfair. But then he gave him five woes against the Babylonians. And he said, in the end, they will do, do justice will be handed out. Okay? Do justice will come down. So lest you think that if God has allowed something to transpire in your life, that somebody's gotten away from, with something, that is not true. God is the ultimate judge of all things. But here's in my heart, and I hope it's yours because it's the heart of Jesus. Jesus is not anxious to hand out justice and judgment. What he is anxious to hand out is grace and mercy. And you better believe we are the most, should be the most grateful people for the grace and mercy of Christ rather than God's judgment and justice. Amen? And so you, you listen, you write, you wait, you position yourself. 
Because there are three words that you need to remember in verse uh, 20 of this chapter, the very last verse. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Here's the three words you need to remember. But the Lord. But the Lord is in his temple. The Lord is still in charge. The Lord is still good. The Lord is still righteous. The Lord is still true. The Lord is still there. But the Lord. And as long as you have that, it doesn't matter what may happen around you. But the Lord is the one who is in control. It is the Lord who will allow whatever is allowed. And if I will sit and I will listen and I will write and I will wait and I will position myself to hear from the Lord, the Lord will speak and the Lord will He will act on your behalf. Because when you're in pain, the most precious voice you'll ever hear is not your mama, it's not your daddy, it's the Lord himself. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I pray this morning that you would minister Uh, Father, this morning to those who are in crisis of belief today, in a way that would bring new life and power and victory back into their heart and their lives. That, Father, as they are wrestling with you right now, Lord, I, I pray that you'll just help them take that baby step of embracing you, just embrace you. And just settle the issue in their heart that they're just, they're just going to sit before you and listen. And, and, and they're just going to write, God, what it, whatever it is that, that, Lord, you bring to their heart, to their mind, a picture, a feeling. Uh, God, whatever it is. And it, it may not even make sense at the time they're writing, but, God, we know that your Holy Spirit will help collect all the data. And he, he's going to help make sense of it all. And as they wait, Father, we don't wait sitting around doing nothing. We wait upon you as we're still actively engaging with you and serving you and following you and just trusting you in deeper ways. And Lord, we know that as long as you are on your temple, in your temple, as long as you are upon your throne, As long as the keys to the kingdom have been snatched out of the hands of the evil one by Jesus, there is nothing, there is nothing that can harm us. Even if somebody were to take our lives, it just ushers us into your presence. So, Lord, I pray that we will rest in you this morning. Help your people to rest. Help them find rest. Jesus, you said, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. I pray for your saints, Father, that need to come and sit at the feet of Jesus and just rest and listen and write and wait because you will be faithful And when the time is right, you're going to speak. And that spoken word 
will forever change the direction and the trajectory of our lives. We thank you for that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.